I, I don't know who it's been attributed to, but it's kind of like this this three-legged stool of of having uh, business assets, cash, you know, like gold cash, you know, just a stable asset, and then real estate. And those are kind of like a three-legged stool that, mm-hmm. you know, if, if something happens to your business, you have real estate to fall back on or or your, your stable assets. Um, if something, you know, if, if inflation sets off, and, and your stable assets, you know, whether it be cash, you know, U.S. dollars, um, obviously are going to be impacted by inflation, then your business assets should do well um, in, in light of inflation, and so should your real estate. So you, you end up with this kind of um, an expectation that none of them are, are going to be do or they're not all three going to be doing extremely well at one time, that there's always kind of going to be a loser. And in diversification, that's an expectation. If you're properly diversified, that means that something is going down in your portfolio at any point in time. If everything's all going up at the exact same time, that means you're not properly diversified. Welcome, friends. You are listening to Blue Collar Money, Theories of Middle Class Investing with your hosts, P.W. Gopal and Mike Hatch. Hey folks, welcome back to Blue Collar Money, theories of middle class investing, where our goal is to help everyday folks get financially unstuck. My name is Mike Catch, and uh, I'm here with P.W. Gopal, of course. We are your co-host for this journey today. And uh, yeah, our goal is really to encourage folks to, uh, to not abdicate responsibility, but to accept responsibility, roll up your sleeves, get your hands dirty, and uh, take control of your own financial future. So PW, today, this is exciting. We have a guest, Daniel Johnson, who uh, who you've, you've known for a bit. Could, do you mind giving us a little bit of insight into uh, who we're about to talk to today? Yeah, so Daniel, Daniel's been a friend for, for several years. Uh, he's probably one of the more intelligent people that I've had the, the privilege of being around. I think we kind of got to know each other at church and just playing poker. Um, <laughs> that's great. And, best way to get to know someone. Yeah, it's be- to me, it's the best way to get to know people. But he really, he is a, a kind, generous person. He's a great strategist. And he just happens to be, and this is why we wanted him on the podcast. He is a real estate investor, but also a financial advisor. Mm-hmm. And so he has a very unique perspective on, you know, on markets. And I purposely say plural markets. Yes, that's you know, right. He can talk about the tension between the stock market, but also, you know, many other lanes that people really should be uh, looking at. And our conversation with him is, has been amazing. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm yeah. really excited for folks to listen. Yeah. So if you've, if you've thought about the real, real estate investing um, market, or and just, we go beyond that too. We talk even about um, kind of what it looks like to be, truly diversified. Um, he ta- he speaks to that a little bit as well. And he comes from a really unique perspective where he's a financial advisor, but he's got this niche to be able to really ed- help people think through ways to be truly diversified, um, not which means more than just the stock market. So you'll hear us talk about that. Hey, our before we jump in, again, I just want to reiterate our goal this year PW, you and I said this before uh, a few episodes ago, is to get to 10,000 downloads. And we're making great progress in that in that realm. So thank you so much for listening, for commenting. We got another review, which means we're up to 20 reviews now, 25-star reviews. Fantastic. Thank you so much. If you have time to write a review, that means a ton to us. Thank you. Also, just remember... There are no, you know, algorithms promoting this this content out there. So this is word of mouth, and and I kind of prefer that. I kind of am excited that that we're growing organically. That people are just simply sharing it. We're up to somewhere between 180, 80, and to 100 unique listeners every week. So grateful for you, uh, folks, and uh, we're just going to continue to do our best to provide value for you moving forward. 
All right. With that being said, let's jump into our interview with Daniel Johnson. Daniel Johnson, welcome to Blue Collar Money Podcast, man. We are really grateful that you've chosen to be with us today. Thank you so much, Mike. Happy to be here. Glad to be here. Yeah, definitely. Well, you, um, we're we're going to get a lot of value, I think, today from you, especially people who are considering the real estate uh, market and uh, in terms of their investment investments and and financial future. But I wanted to start off first and just ask you, uh, tell us a little bit about your faith journey and and how that impacted uh, you in, in, in your career progression to bring you to this place where you are now, um, which is a pretty niched uh, kind of place, really, professionally. And uh, and you can tell us specifically what you do first and, and then kind of take us on, on your journey and how you got there. But we just love to learn a little bit more about you. Yeah, um, thanks. You know, thanks for having me on, Mike and uh, and PW. It's uh, it's really great to be able to you know to talk talk to you guys today and, and to share with your 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 followers um, what I'm doing. I want to put out a quick disclaimer, real quick, because I am a an investment advisor representative um, with Refocus Financial Planning. Um, it's a registered investment advisor in the state of North Carolina. Um, so the topics I'm going to discuss today are, and opinions I'm going to give today are not meant to address specific needs of, of the listeners. Um, Refocus Financial Planning does not um, offer legal or tax advice, um, and listeners are encouraged to discuss their specific needs with the appropriate professionals, um, considering their individual s- circumstance. And then the things we're going to talk about, the investments we're going to talk about today, um, may be speculative in nature and and do could have a substantial risk of loss. So my, my background is, you know, I, I actually grew up in the church. Um, my dad, my dad was a pastor. Um, he, he was a, a minister to the deaf. And so he, he, he was actually deaf himself. And, you know, that had a lot of impacts on me growing up um, because, because really I saw, I saw the world from a slightly different uh, perspective of my, my dad being in ministry and working with with a lot of folks that um, their their limitation in life was what they that they couldn't hear. Um, otherwise, you know, they they were fully capable of doing any and all uh, jobs and tasks and roles. Um, but I did see kind of just just this difference in in the way that people saw them. You know, you go to a fast food restaurant and the way that they're they're treated and that sort of thing. So that that really had a big impact on me growing up. Um, and, and of course, my dad being in ministry and, and being in the church every, you know, uh, three or three times a week and and just kind of growing up in that in that situation. Um, it was it was both positive and negative to me growing up. I, I, I know that um, a lot of folks really um, that, that grow up in the church like that, they either come away uh, embracing it even more or rejecting it. And I would say I'm kind of, I ended up kind of being in the middle of the road where I kind of had this love hate relationship with, with the church. I loved, I loved the, um, the, the mission of the church and the people in the church and the, and the things that the church were doing, uh, in many ways. But then on the other side, I, I, I experienced a lot of times the, the politics of the church and, and wanting to reject that. So as, as I kind of was growing up, I, I kind of thought, Hey, I'm going to go into ministry. You know, I'm going to kind of follow my, my dad and grandfather's footsteps. Um, my, my grandparents were missionaries in, in Chile. And so I kind of thought growing up, Hey, I'm, I'm going to become a missionary or, or, or become a pastor or, or be in missions or uh, in ministry somehow. But over time, I, I kind of I kind of just realized um, that 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 wasn't the pool in my life um, that that wasn't where I was where I was heading. However, you know I, I really over over time I started getting into into finance, getting into um, understanding how the world works, how how the economy works. I was kind of you know I was a student of the uh, of the Great Recession because I was in 2007, I was graduating from college, you know, with a, with a degree in accounting and fully aware of what was going on in the world. And, and that really shaped the way that I have, have looked at, you know, money and the world since then. And that, that kind of drove me into, I guess, um, into finance in, in the world of finance. Wow. That's, that's funny. Cause I, I share a similar story, the, uh, 2007, uh, you know, global financial crisis, Without a doubt, um, 
piqued my interest, really got me to ask a lot of questions about what the heck it would it, why are banks uh, having to get bailed out? Um, why, you know, why did the market crash? Um, why did I lose 40% of my, <laughs> my retirement? <laughs> like what the heck? Um, so it's interesting that, that started me out on, on my journey, uh, interesting journey. And then PW played a role in that too. So then, okay. So the, you're, you got interested in that and you began to, uh, focus on, on, uh, financial advising and, but what brought you to this place now and give us a little bit of a synopsis or summary of, of where you are now and what brought you to this specific niche. So kind of bringing it back to the 2007 time period, that was actually, I, I just moved to Asheville where I'd moved to Asheville a couple of years prior and decided, Hey, look, you know, uh, what, what any good, you know, a uh, person, you know, a person that that's going to be successful financially does they buy a house. And so got this great idea in 2007, um, uh, a senior in college, I was actually working full time and, and I was like, Hey, look, I want to buy a house and I'm going to rent a couple rooms to my friends. And, and that's the way that I kind of started my, my journey in real estate in 2007. Um, literally at the top of the market, you probably could not have picked a worse time uh, to buy a house. Um, I bought a house in, in, in 2007 in Asheville, um, which wow. overall got hit harder by the, um, the financial crisis and, and the housing you know, bubble than a lot of other places. Mm. But I bought a townhouse, um, got two roommates, started renting the rooms, um, and, and it was fine for a couple of years, you know, other than looking at the value of the homes around me that had fallen 20, 30, 40% in value over the, the coming uh, two or three years. Um, but but I, what I found in that process was that real estate is actually a very resilient asset if, if you have a long enough time horizon on it. Hmm. Uh, because to this day, I still own that townhouse as a rental property of my own. And lo and behold, it's worth $50,000 more than it was when I bought it. And the mortgage has been paid down. So net net, I probably have, you know, uh, about $100,000 of equity in that house, even though I was underwater for, you know, probably eight to 10 years on that property. Um, so that's what that's what really jump started me into real estate and understanding how powerful it can be, even in terrible market conditions. That's a great point, because, yeah, so there are some people who had uh, who really suffered who had um, adjustable rate mortgages and then had no way out of of that because they couldn't refinance they couldn't sell because they were underwater they were really stuck but if you yeah if you do it right you can weather a storm like that um, over time especially if it's an income producing asset that uh, right that you're as long as you can make the payments and you still have an yeah. income com coming in that can, yeah. 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 And obviously there, there were a lot of situations that of, of job loss, you know, my situation would have been, would have been very different if, if things had played out differently. So, you know, not once again, not all situations are the same. However, um, uh, it's, it's one of those things that real estate can be powerful, even in a, even in a terrible market um, to, to, to have as a long-term asset. And that speaks directly to your specialty, which is kind of real estate, right? Tell us a little bit about that that specialty. What do you specialize in? How do you do it? And kind of, uh, yeah, just describe it for us. So we have a little bit of understanding. Sure, sure. So, so everyone is kind of aware of financial planning and 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 the financial advice world, which is a it's a it's a big and booming world. There's there's a lot of folks that are you know, that are in that, that world, managing assets, whether it be with a mutual fund or with, um, with a, with a broker dealer or with a registered investment advisor. Um, and so for the last seven or eight years, I've spent, um, time with a large, um, registered investment advisor and, and, you know, I was working with folks that had, you know, two plus million dollars and we were managing money and, and, and it was, it was a great, a, a great place to be. And, you know, you're giving great advice to kind of wealthy people. Um, but over that period of time, I, I, I encountered a lot of people who were in the real estate world that really didn't see a lot of value in hiring a, a financial planner, financial advisor, because 
what they saw was that this person, this financial advisor sitting on the other side of the table and their primary goal is to get me to put more money into the stock market because that's how they're going to get paid. And and yeah. now at the end of the day, I, I, I'm not going to say that that's all terrible and bad. Um, you know, financial advisors, if you if you if you look and go over a long period of time and you invest your money over a long period of time, everyone kind of comes out on the on the positive end of it. However, um, what I saw was there's just this market of folks that were underserved, that were real estate investors, that they liked real estate. They wanted to continue investing in real estate. And and what they were asking for is they were, they were like, hey, I want some information on how to save for retirement, you know, outside of my uh, outside of my real estate. How do I plan for college planning and that sort of thing? So as a certified financial planner, those are kind of the, the core topics that you learn about. You learn about insurance planning. You learn about um, tax planning. You learn about retirement planning. You learn about all these things, um, but you don't learn a lot about real estate. And so the real estate um, that the real estate knowledge that I've gained has been from my personal, uh, my personal research, my personal investment and that sort of thing. But I was, you know, over the last seven or eight years looking at how can I kind of combine these two things? How can I move into an underserved market of folks who are either real estate investors who, or who want to be real estate investors, but they want some guidance. They want a financial planner to help them with that. Um, So that's where refocus financial planning kind of was born out of, um, just this year of the idea of helping helping folks that either are or want to be real estate investors, helping them gain the confidence and the understanding of how to do it right, and then how to how to execute, and then how to help them cover all their other areas of their life, how to save for college, how to you know do all these different things. So that's fantastic! Wow, that's really cool. That is really cool. What is it in term like in terms of your you know, your Christian worldview, your kingdom mindset, how do you see yourself playing a role in kind of God's redemptive plan as, as you work with your clients in this, in this area? You know, what, one thing that I, that I've seen in, in my work as a financial planner is, and, and, and I'll say I'll even guiltily myself, there's always a desire for more. There's always a desire for better. There's always a desire for something else. And, I was actually, I was, I just happened to be reading the other day in Ecclesiastes about, you know, basically kind of like everything repeats and everything cycles and everything is a, you know, everyone, a business that thinks they've got some new idea, it's, it's almost always a reinvention of some other idea. And, and so as, as an individual, as a person, and I, once again, I'm guilty of this, you have a desire to like, climb the ladder to to better yourself to to financially better yourself but at the end of the day what's going to happen whenever you're whenever you're 85 years old and you're you're about to die it's not going to matter whether you had five million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars left in the bank literally like very few people are ever going to remember that however they are going to remember your actions and so in, in my my world as a financial planner being able to to help folks to, to kind of ad- advance um, their situation to a place where they have their own Maslow, you know, hierarchy of needs covered, at least the basics, then they can start turning outwards and start looking to their community to start looking to other people that they can help. And I think one of your, your past guests, you know, kind of talked a little bit about um, loving people through leases and, and, and the idea of, you know, especially in a, in a pandemic situation that we're in right now, folks are out of work and, and to be able to turn it around and to to be in a place where you're stable enough that you can reach back out to your neighbor, to your friends, to your family and to help them. Um, that's kind of that, that's kind of like what my my goal and what I do is to to help people to understand their situation well enough to to be stable enough that they can they can then reach out and help other people and around them in their community in the world. Let's just use um, you know we had Chase our friend Chase Harden on here who was who was the guy who mentioned you know loving people through leases. Let's just kind of archetype Chase just say he you know so there's there's a whole bunch of twenty late twenties somethings early thirties folks listening to us. They are either invested in the market because of a 401k or because of their job or, you know, um, but they're looking at real estate. We, we talk about real estate almost probably 
in every episode, at least in mention. Um, and they're they're looking at this idea of becoming a landlord. Like, what are some key steps for just beginners that are just they're over leveraged in one area. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to even like have a conversation about getting that first property, becoming a landlord, preparing their homes, like their family mm -hmm. for what, what, what are some things they can look at? Well, let me, let me address this from a couple of, of different perspectives. Um, one of the best ways that I personally think um, for someone to get into being a landlord is to consider using your own home, the home that you live in. Um, to to get started, and and they're in in our in the real estate industry, it's kind of called house hacking, to where you know whether you strategically buy a duplex to as your first home, or you strategically buy a house that has a basement apartment, or even just a basement. It doesn't have to be apartment, um, or or a garage apartment, or something like that, um, or maybe it's even a bedroom in your house. And so I'll just take this as for example, a good friend of mine. Uh, partner on a bunch of real estate with me. He he he's in Asheville and he had one bedroom in his house, and he decided to start doing Airbnb with it. Um, and this was probably five years ago. Started doing Airbnb with this one bedroom. It was a main level kind of master suite, and the he and his family lived upstairs. And that one bedroom, he he didn't have any other investment properties as his primary residence. That one bedroom paid his mortgage for about a year. Wow. And and. And, and just, just doing it, you know, just on weekends, really paid his mortgage for about a year. Um, and then what that also did was that gave him income attributable to that property that he could use on his tax return and that he could take to a lender. And then he was able to kind of swing out and to buy a second property and then convert that property into a full-time investment property. So, and then he was able to kind of repeat, he bought another house with a basement that he just did Airbnb in the basement the basement paid the mortgage for the new house. The other house was on a full time. So it was, he was making even more money. So, so the idea of using your primary residence to become a landlord first, it gives you an opportunity to understand, is this something I, I want to do? Hmm. Like, do I want to be a self manager? Do I want to manage my own properties Two, Do I hate the idea of being a landlord? Because here's the great thing is you can hire a landlord to work for you. Um, if you don't want to kind of do all of the the landlording side of it, I personally love the landlording side. I love working with tenants. I love talking with people on that end of it. Um, and, and and so you can you can kind of understand yourself a little bit better by experiencing it. And also the thing is, you're not like jumping headfirst in and buying a property that's only an investment property and you're never going to live in it. Like worst case scenario, you have a house that you're living in right now, and if you find you hate being a real estate investor. You at least find out before you you've gone and bought a house, and then you're going to have to you know figure out how to get back out of it and extract mm -hmm. yourself from the situation. Yeah. So, those are kind of just my my thoughts on entry level how to jump into it. I love that. That's great. Yeah. I Amazing. just finished a book called uh, Range, and it it was talking about the fact. Are you familiar with it? You're shaking your head. Mm -hmm. no, no. Okay. No, great. I can't remember who wrote it. Now I can find out. But it talks about how uh, it, it's the um, it's the argument for the generalist versus the specialist and, uh, and how, when you try a lot of different things, you learn more about yourself, what you like, what you dislike. And then, and then a lot of the most impactful things that people have done throughout history is once they've discovered themselves through experiences and trial and error and experimentation that later on in life, they actually are able to niche down and make a huge impact as a result mm -hmm. But it's been a journey up to that point. I just think most people are scared to take that first step and say, I'm going to be a landlord. I'm going to try this because what I hear you saying is try it. Like it's not like once you're in, you're in for good. You can you can try it and see if it fits you or not. Right. Yeah. And I mean, just another another idea to throw out there. Um, there there's actually a huge market for travel nurse housing. So traveling nurses that that travel around the country and they 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 kind of do fill in you know work for hospitals and that sort of thing, you can you can rent one bedroom in your house to like literally the the person that if if you're in trouble you want to have in your house anyway <laughs> a nurse. So like I mean right. <laughs> you're you're not worried about like is this person going to steal from me or anything like that, but it's more of like hey if I'm having a heart attack like this person might actually save my life you know so. 
So you can actually rent a bedroom to a traveling nurse you know, for three months and figure out if you like it or not. If you don't like it, then pull out. If you like it, do it again. Figure yeah. out how to how to how to talk, you know, figure out another way to get another property if you do like it. So I'm, I'm thinking of people who maybe have their parents living with them or are concerned about their parents and mm-hmm. and uh, who are aging. And maybe you <laughs> you ripped yeah. out your parents room <laughs> to yeah. a traveling nurse. Hey, for, for a second there, I thought Mike was going to suggest kicking your parents out <laughs> to make some cash. And I was like, I think that might be a little harsh, Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me. Just, I want to go back really quick just for a second to make a point. And then and then because we're already heading down a fantastic route here, PW, you're probably feeling it, too, just in terms of yeah. our listeners getting some real practical yeah. uh, information. What I love about what you're doing right now, you are, you know, you you mentioned Ecclesiastes. I love Ecclesiastes as well. Um, Ecclesiastes 11 is one of the greatest chapters on investments, but it's funny how a lot of people attribute the the truths in there simply to the stock market. Okay, hmm. so it says, you know, ship your grain across the sea after many days. This is 11, chapter 11, verse one in Ecclesiastes. Ship your grain across the sea, and after many days, you may receive a return. And it's talking about investing, maybe even investing uh, in foreign uh, in foreign investments. It says, invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. And what's interesting is this did not have the stock market in mind. This is a this is talking about a truly. Because if you're just in the stock market, you're not truly diversified. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. one asset class. Mm-hmm. What you're doing in this is you're teaching people to be truly diversified across more than one asset class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and I'll I'll be honest with you. I'm I'm a huge fan of. I, I believe it was. I, I don't know who it's been attributed to, but it's kind of like this this three legged stool of of having uh, business assets cash, you know, like gold cash, you know, just a stable asset and then real estate. And those are kind of like a three-legged stool that, mm. you know, if, if something happens to your business, you have real estate to fall back on or, or your, your stable assets. Um, if something, you know, if, if inflation sets off and, and your stable assets, you know, it, whether it be cash, you know, U.S. dollars um, obviously are going to be impacted by inflation, then your business assets should do well um, in in light of inflation, and so should your real estate. So you you end up with this kind of um, an expectation that none of them are are going to be do or they're not all three going to be doing extremely well at one time. That there's always kind of kind of be a loser. And in diversification, that's an expectation. If you're properly diversified, that means that something is going down in your portfolio at any point in time. If everything's all going up at the exact same time, that means you're not properly diversified. Oh my yeah. gosh, so, that is gold. Yeah, so that that is something I want you to repeat, especially say it louder for the people in the back, <laughs> that when you are being told to flatten your portfolio, and right, so you are in diversified products, you're still in one asset class and it can't all be going up at the same time. So go go back, go back about 30 seconds and say that again. Yeah, I mean, and in you know, if you're if you're looking at the stock market, you you've got you got individual little areas and pockets of the stock market that might be slightly diversified from each other. You have international, you have domestic U.S. You know, and 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 that's the typical portfolio is going to be diversified across different business assets and in different business regions with different currencies and all that kind of stuff. Yes, there is a little bit of diversification that happens there, but if we go back to what what happened in the Great Financial Crisis. There, there was literally no place to hide, you know? I mean, the only place to hide was U.S. Treasuries for the most part. And and at the end of the day, you're, you're talking you're talking international went down. You know, small companies went down. Large companies went down. Some worse than others, yes. Um, and then, I mean, at the end of the day, real estate went down. Probably gold and U.S. Treasuries were the only real places to hide. Now, at the end of the day, what you really need to be looking at, in, in, my, in my opinion, is you need to be looking at the assets that you hold and the risks that they have um, as in exposures. And we saw a lot of this at the very beginning of the pandemic where, where these, these companies, um, you know, if, if you had 
if you had a movie theater stock, AMC or, you know, a lot of these companies, they just got hammered. Uh, Carnival Cruise Lines, these companies just got hammered because of their, their exposure. And they went down 80% in some cases. Um, in other cases, some, some stocks only went down 40%. However, real estate, what happened during this last, you know, this last period of time, real estate actually went way up. Um, I mean, it, on an overall basis, real estate is about as hot as you can get. So, so at the end of the day, no assets are going to all like um, do the exact same thing every single market crisis. Each market crisis has its own own characteristics. So that's where I think you know, as investors, you need you need to be looking at um, what are what are the risk profiles for the things that I hold. And, and in a lot of cases, it's just a systemic risk that the market itself is going to go down. So what are my what are my other holdings that are going to offset that and that are going to do well in a systemic market crisis. Um, so PW, I know, I know you said go back. Uh, I kind of maybe, maybe did a little twist on a reiterator a little bit, but, but I think at the end of the day, diversification, true diversification, in my opinion, can't be achieved just in the stock market. Because even if you try to get real estate exposure in the stock market, all you're getting are public companies that own ownership interest in some real estate assets. And most of the times those are really massive, whether it be a mortgage REIT or a, or a big, you know, uh, an office build out um, in Manhattan or something like that. All you're doing is you're buying companies that have exposure, a real estate company that has exposure to these, um, to these different areas. And it's not a true exposure to real estate, in my opinion, because you're getting a business value on real estate instead of just pure real estate exposure. Pure real estate. Yeah. Man. So I want to, I want to kind of like go a little bit into the future. If we take some of the people that you were speaking to, some of the people that are wanting to get started and they see themselves in, let's say they, they start in real estate and they like it. They like being a landlord. They, you know, they, they like the game of it. They like the hunt. Um, three to five years, 10 years down the road, if you were to characterize that person, what are the three, three to five single best characteristics of, of a person that's savvy in real estate? I think, I think at the end of the day, the, the first thing is you have to know your numbers and, and you have to be cognizant of what you're buying and what the market will bear for your, you know, what you're buying. Um, you can't go in there and, and buy something and expect, hey, look, I can do this or that, and I'm, I'm going to get 50% more in rent. Um, so you just really have to understand your market and what you're buying. Now, another one is, obviously, if you're, if you're a scrappy person, like I, I would say, I am, I am not the handiest person, but give me a couple of times at going at something, and I can figure it out. And the first three times, it's going to look terrible. It's not going to be right. If, if you have me do drywall patching and stuff and repair, it's not going to look good the first couple of times. But the, by the fourth, fifth, sixth time, I can do it myself and do it pretty pretty decently. So if you're a scrappy person that already has a lot of tools in your tool belt for just working on homes, working on properties, then that gets you ahead of the game right now. Because especially right now with, with you know, it's blue, it's blue collar money, blue collar jobs are in massive demand and the prices are just through the roof. To, 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 to hire and employ these, you know, the, the, these, these contractors. So if you can do the work yourself, you have a leg up on every other investor that is trying to go and hire a general contractor, trying to go and hire, you know, um, even a repair guy. Um, if you can do it yourself, you're going to save a lot of money. It's going to increase your profitability of your, of your investment. Um, so that's something I've tried to, in, you know, improve my skill over time, continue to do that. Um, third is technology. If you can employ and use technology to your advantage, whether that be collecting of rents, whether it be communicating with your tenants, if you don't have, if you don't have to have worry about like having this, you know, texting marathon, and instead you have a, a very efficient way to collect your rents through a portal. Um, there's a lot of great ones out there. I, I'd be happy to share share any of them um, with folks, but Cozy is a, is a great one. You basically, you know, you're just automatically setting up bank drafts for your, you're not having to chase down your tenants every month. Hmm. Um, how do you spell so, cozy? Uh, cozy C O Z Y. I think it's cozy.co. You know, I, I think, I think those three will, and, and, and then just also just the diligence and sticking with it because real estate is not an immediate turnaround. Um, there are very few situations like you, you might be successful in finding a property that needs a lot of work that nobody else has seen. 
and you're able to buy it, fix it up, and you get a nice big pop on it that it's, you know, becomes a really great investment for you because you can, you know, maybe something that nobody else thought was desirable and would only rent for $500. You buy it, you fix it up yourself, and now it rents for twelve dollars or $1,300. You could have a, an, a, an amazing return on your investment. So an eye towards design, an eye towards, you know, these types of things. I would say that all these four things that I named, like you don't have to have all four of them. Like if you have one of them, you're going to be okay. And, and let me just kind of push this idea on you guys. Um, for somebody that is, is kind of thinking about, hey, look, I, I work a W-2 job. You know, I like what I do. I get, you know, I enjoy my, my career. Um, but I don't really feel like I have the greatest, uh, the greatest ability to kind of put as much as I would like aside for my retirement eventually. Um, or to, or to build that margin in my life now, maybe, maybe there's the, the, the desire to do something different, but you, you don't, you don't see the bridge in order to get to the other side to be able to do that. I think that real estate can be a really powerful way to get there. And let's just, for just a thought example, real quick, what I was talking about earlier, house hacking, you buy a house, um, you get a mortgage on it, you maybe put 10% down on it. So let's just say, for example, you buy a $200,000 house, you put 10% down on it. So you're going to, you put $20,000 $20, down on it. So you have a $180,000 mortgage. Then you get a, you get one, a renter to come into a, to one of your bedrooms and you start having that pay your mortgage. After a year, you've got enough income that you can, you can show on a tax return. Um, then, then you say, Hey, look, I'm going to jump and I'm going to get another property. And you do that two or three times and you have three properties, three investment properties under your belt, you run the timeline out 10, 15, 20 years. And especially if you think about a 30-year mortgage amortization, after 30 years, you have three houses that all cost $200,000 each paid off in 30 years. You have, in today's dollars, you have $600,000 of asset value. Now that's grown over 30 years, obviously. You don't, you don't, you don't buy anything today at 30-year-ago prices. So you have probably upwards of $2 million worth of real estate just in these three houses that you you bought 30 years ago and you've rented over the years. And, and they're still producing rent. They've been paying you through the years. Imagine even after year five or year 10, the, the, the financial flexibility that just having these the rental payments coming in on these three properties could provide to you as a as you know, in your lifestyle, whether it be a, a career change, um, you know, just increasing the margin in your life to be able to give back to your community, to give back to your church. Um, it's, it's just a really powerful thing that that can be done just by ordinary people. Man, that is so good. One of the things you had said um, is, is a career change. And I think for the folks that are listening, it happened to me, it happened to Mike. Um, it, it happens to a certain type of person. At some point, uh, W-2 income doesn't make sense. You know, and you you want to, um, as you were describing earlier, you want to kind of want to test the waters in all these different areas. And I, what you just outlined is this picture, which I, I absolutely love the idea of stabilizing your family's income. So if at some point things become destabilized, whether it's your job, your W-2 job, um, that you can go and create value for somebody and you have the margin to kind of make that pivot where your spouse is not, you know, freaking out over paying the bills. Like there, there is some stability there. And so I'm, I just turned had my 50th birthday. So I have to be financially perfect. Um, have already had, you know, two go rounds with financial crisis. One was my own fault. The next one was COVID and my daughter getting sick, you know, we'll survive another one. If, if it comes up, I don't want to do, go through that again. Um, but there are, you know, people in their thirties with significant advantages just from time horizons. I mean, in your twenties, well, oh my goodness, you can make all kinds of mistakes and still do really, really, really well. And by the time you're 40 and you're just like, man, I really don't like my job. I don't like this, this path that you can pick another one. And it's probably one of the greatest freedoms I think this country offers us is that you can go provide a different kind of value. And if you have, like you were saying earlier, tried these different spaces and figured out what you're good at and you, and you, the benefit is you see where the gaps are. 
you see the stories progress, you can kind of push them out five, 10 years and say, I see these gaps happening, especially if you understand money and you can place yourself in those, in those positions. Um, I think, I think that point you made is absolute gold. I hope people go back 15 minutes, rewind it and listen again. Uh, because if you are young, there's a good chance that in 10 to 15 years, you're just going to want a different, take a different lane in life. Yes, there is a high chance of that. Um, that's playing out more and more with, with the younger generation and, and, uh, and they don't need to feel bad about that. That's one of the, yeah. going yeah. back to that book range that that's one of the points that he makes is that our, our economy and our culture is going in that direction where being a generalist and kind of trying different things out, uh, really can help you understand yourself uh, a lot better. So Daniel mentioned, you know, the, it was like 0.2, which is roughly translated, like get your hands dirty, like, um, you know, find a mentor to kind of show you something. I honestly, YouTube might be one of the greatest mentors out there, at least for me to watch <laughs> somebody you know, I, I learned by doing so. Um, but, but secondly, by watching, and so, you know, watching somebody kind of perfect, you know, some good practices and then go out there and do it. So I've done, I mean, I've probably done four dozen, not, not a lot, but four, maybe five dozen tile jobs. And I started with my own. It's still there today. And it, it, you can that's tell a good was, sign. <laughs> you can tell it was my first tile job. Um, and then I started doing tile jobs for other people. And I did almost every one of those tile jobs on a $99 Home Depot tile saw. Mm -hmm. I just learned how to use that, that tile saw. But what, what I learned was I, I didn't charge anybody because these were all my friends as I was able to save them. Usually, you know, several thousand dollars on a bathroom, at least 2000 on a bathroom, um, sometimes maybe six to $8,000 on a kitchen. And in my mind, I was doing it for my friends. And I never thought, you know, this is that I want to charge them. You know, I didn't want the liability of getting it wrong and having it be there forever. But fast forward that I, I haven't perfected it. I'm still learning. I mean, I was watching four hours of YouTube the other night, but a friend of mine saw a picture I posted. He's a custom home builder and somebody approached them about a job in Hendersonville, which is about an hour from us, about two custom bathrooms and this setup. And Mike already knows this story. But the guy is so, he got my number and he called and we talked and I told him, I was like, I really don't want the job. I don't want to do the tile work because it makes my body hurt. Um, but he said, you know, I can't find anybody in that area and you come highly recommended. And meanwhile, I'm, you know, I have the imposter syndrome story rolling in my head. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so I'm like, well, he obviously doesn't know who he's talking to, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, but he's like, I can't get anyone to show up. I'm willing to pay a premium on this work. And so he offered me 10 grand to do two bathroom floors and a shower, $10,000. And I turned it down because I didn't want the work. Yeah. Uh, now fast forward, I'm meeting with him today. Uh, because, you know, we've, we've been sitting on, sitting on, um, you know, the idea of me, working on this for a couple of weeks, just to kind of get a little unstuck. Um, I still, am going to hate the work, but I, I have, we have some other goals that we have to, to meet. And mm -hmm. so I can take in my head, I can suck it up. This is, this is Mike's words. I can suck <laughs> it up. I can take 10 days. I can go do this guy's tile and it will give us the opportunity to be ready for the opportunity that I'm really excited about. Mm -hmm. I don't get excited about tile, you know, but that this has happened over time, just getting my hands dirty. And lo and behold, I hate doing tile work, but I'm actually good at it. Somebody out there is going to start doing carpentry and realize, man, they're really good at this. You know, they can save tens of thousands of dollars on their own properties, let alone somebody else's. And PW, to that point, I mean, going back to, to the range, you know, scenario, like literally doing a lot of different things, you you understand and you start to learn and and you're you're testing it out on your own properties as well. And so it's not like, it's not like you're, you're talking about, Hey, I don't want to get, I don't want to get sued. I don't want to get, you know, yeah. I don't want somebody to be mad at me because I did a, a terrible job or whatever the case is. You test it out on your own properties. And the, the good thing is you're just going to do it. You, 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 the cost is in Home Depot or Lowe's, you know, 
and then you do it yourself and you may make a mistake a couple of times, but it'll chances are, it'll probably work for three or four years right. until it breaks again. And then in three or four years, you'll know what you did wrong. Cause you've done it 10 other times. Yeah. Then you go back to it and you're like, aha, you know, uh, stupid me, you know, three years ago did this the wrong way, but now I'm going to fix it the right way. And, and then what you might find is in the process of doing, you know, it, and, and let me, let me, let me kind of talk about this real quick. A lot of people, there, there are kind of three, three key factors to real estate. You can have, you can have time to invest in real estate. You can have money to invest in real estate, or you can have the connections or the deals, the properties. Usually people don't have all three of those. Mm-hmm. Usually you have one, maybe two of those. The good thing is, even if you just have one or two of those, you can still make progress. Um, if you have all three of those, if you have time, money, and deals, then by all means, you know, go for it. You're you're probably going to kill it. Um, but if you have just two of those, and you can find somebody who has the deals, or you can find somebody who has the money, and you have the time or the deal. So so think of it this way: you don't have any money, but you're like, I, I'm a go getter. I want to I want to make this happen. So what you do if you don't have the money, you go and you find you drive around your neighborhood wherever you live, and you find the most beat up property you can, you go on the tax records, you find who owns that property, you start calling them and get a list of 10, 15, 20 of them. Start mm-hmm. calling the owners and start saying, hey, what are you going to sell this? You know, are you going to sell this? What, what can we, what can I buy it for? Um, and then you, you find a deal. Then you can go out and you can find somebody that's in real estate that will fund your deal. That'll be your money guy. Mm-hmm. So you've got the time and the deal. So then you go and you, you put your time, sweat equity into it. And you get somebody to, to to partner with you on the money side. That's how you can also get into into this into this world. Yeah. Um. So so those are just kind of some of the the, the ideas behind you know uh, real estate there. And- yeah, and I want to I want to piggyback on that real quick. Um, if you if you are going to do that, you know, start pursuing um, owners because I, I have a friend that just did this um, less than a year ago. The story you tell is really important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he said, the, well, this is what I've seen over time is that, you know, for the, the people that are buying the house that write the letter to the current owner, you know, kind of outlining, you know, their family story, um, even for investments, like if you, if you tell the person, you know, kind of your plan for the property, it, it really does go a long way. I've actually heard of people dropping their price significantly because they wanted a certain family to be able to afford the housing, you know, they're not, everybody is attached to money. Like we may think that they are. And so if you are in that, in that space of like, you know, Hey, we feel like God is kind of moving us towards real estate. And here's the things we want to do with it. Like eventually we want it, we want to benefit others, right. As Chase said, loving people through leases, we want to bless families, you know, Tell, tell a good story and you never know God will part. I think I really do believe that God will partner you with the right owner. Who's like, you know, I'm not, I don't care about dying with 5 million. I'll die with, mm-hmm. you know, 4 million, 800,000, <laughs> you know, like here, here's a break on this thing and do something really good with it. And, and relationships are everything, you know, it, you, you treat, you treat others like, like you, like, let's just say it's a, it's an 80 year old, and that that they really do need to to sell the property, you treat them like you're they're they're your grandmother, you know, and that that you would treat one of your family members. Um, like at the end of the day, they 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 will appreciate that. And 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 obviously, it kind of goes to our to our command and our mission as Christians to 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 love one another. And and a lot of times, you can actually help people tremendously, getting them out of a bad situation. You know. They, they might have a house that is unsellable on the, on the private, you know, on the MLS, but you're able to get in there and help them get out of a problem spot. So, so yeah, hundred percent, you know, tell your story, treat them, treat them like their family. And, you know, I mean, treat them like they're, they're a child of God, you know, it, it's it, pretty an easier way to say it. Um, hmm. So. Love that. That's awesome. So Daniel, you have, like kind of like the conversation we're having right now, you have these conversations with, with the people you meet with on a regular basis. Like if someone's looking to get into real estate and they come to you and they, I don't have any money. Like this is the kind of thing you talk with them about. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, I, 
you know, I, I, I just want to be there and be a resource for folks. Um, and to, at the end of the day, like my kind of my tagline, my slogan is, is financial, you know, unbiased financial advice. Um, because at the end of the day, I don't have any conflicts on whether somebody um, invests in real estate, buys a business or invests in the stock market. Like, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, I don't have any any bias in which of those different paths somebody heads. My goal is to make sure and help people to, to know that that's the right path for them, that they understand the risks that come with a certain path. Um, so yeah, I, I, those are the conversations that I have with folks and, and, you know, I, I, I have an, you know, an introductory meeting that, that I do, you know, free of charge. And then, you know, ongoing, I have a couple of different services, you know, financial planning, just ongoing financial planning is a service. Um, then I have just kind of one time, you know, one hour meetings where you can just ask me any questions. I call my ask me anything service. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I cover all of this, um, and any questions that folks have, um, I, I, I get into the details with them. That's great. So one of the other questions and, and we should probably wrap up soon, but um, one of the questions that PW had down, which I think I'd like to hear a little bit more about too, is how you ended up in working for yourself mm-hmm. as opposed to maybe being tied to, you know, another, um, I don't know, partnership or something. Yeah. How did you get to this place where you, you're working, you're, you're your own business? Yeah. Yeah. So it, this, this actually ties back um, to some of the other things we were talking about. Um, you know, I think, I think if, if my, my wife and my family, if we had not been fortunate enough to kind of build the margin into our lives with these, uh, you know, the properties that we've, um, we've acquired over the years. So we, we have about eight um, investment properties that we own. Um, a handful of them are Airbnb properties. Um, and then a couple of them are, are long-term rentals. And so those have given us a little bit of breathing room in our lives that I was able to step away. I mean, my, my wife stays at home with our three kids. Um, and so for me to step away and for us to step into a place where have literally zero income starting a new business, um, you know, for all of your, all of your startup entrepreneurs, you know, you know how it is to kind of jump out into the world with, with no income, just kind of a Rolodex and, um, and try to try to make it work. But, but if it weren't for the the investment properties, the rental properties that we have that can provide at least a, a small base level of, of resource to us, it would, it would be impossible. So the idea is is kind of one of those things like, hey, look, I want to I want to kind of perpetuate that to to push that out to other folks. And I'm a financial planner by trade. You know, that's that's my, my training. And and, I, and I, I just felt that there was a good way to do that. And the reason that I didn't connect myself with any other companies, whether it be like a broker dealer, whether it be like Raymond James or Morgan Stanley, or um, even just any independent advisory companies is because one, I wanted to be able to do it the way that I wanted to do it. I wanted to be able to have these types of conversations um, with, with people that um, are going to care about these types of conversations and then to be able to give them investment advice, um, you know, without having to push them into a product having to push them into, you know, Hey, look, you need XYZ mutual fund and, and this over here, you know, that's, that's what you need to buy. You don't need to buy real estate. So being fully independent gives me the ability to do it the way that I want to do it, the way that, that I think is going to best serve folks that I'm working with, in my opinion. And it, love it. That started a while ago as you were building up, you know, the properties to, to build the margin in your life, to be able to have choices and, uh, and the flexibility to do that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, all right. Last question is because you mentioned it and I think it, it could be pertinent. What are the advantages, disadvantages as you compare a long-term, you know, rental, you know, and you're a landlord and you've got someone living in there and an Airbnb, like just what, what are some of the, the different, you've got, obviously you've got great experience in both, both avenues. Um, yeah. What are some of those? Could you just describe that a little bit? So if someone's thinking, sure. trying to think through, what do I do? Do I do a long-term thing? This Airbnb sounds really lucrative. 
What are some of the things they need to think about? So Airbnb versus long-term rental is a, it's a, it, it's, it's a big discussion right now in the real estate community because obviously Airbnb is, is a great resource. If you're traveling, I imagine, you know, you're probably looking up Airbnbs first. If you're traveling with a family, um, you might go to VRBO, but like hotels are kind of last on the list, you know, to look. So me personally traveling, it's a great resource. Now for hosting, for being a, for being an investor, buying properties that you're intending to use as Airbnb, you have to think of it this way. And I actually just wrote a blog post um, on my website about this, about Airbnb and why investors are kind of flocking towards it. But you have to think of it as a business to begin with. Now, I, I encourage all everybody that I talk with about real estate to think of real estate as a business. However, long-term rentals are a little bit more of a passive business. You can kind of be hands-off and you're, you're probably not going to talk to your tenant every month. You're probably going to talk to them every you know, three to six months with Airbnb, you have to have the mindset that you're literally going to be talking to your tenants, you know, and your tenants are changing every single other day. And you're going to have, you're going to have to have conversations with them. You're going to have to, you have to, if something's wrong, if there's a roach in the kitchen, you're gonna have to take care of it. You're gonna have to make sure that they're, they're, um, they're compensated for that, you know, the inconvenience you have to, you know, you have to, you're, you're entering into a service business if you're an Airbnb host and it's less of kind of a, a long-term, I mean, I would say long-term property management is still a service business, but it's, it's like you're in hospitality when you go into Airbnbs. Yeah. Um, for some people, it's great. Some people love it. Some people, I mean, if, if you like people and interacting with people and, and, you know, talking with them and trying to give them tips on the, you know, good restaurants to go visit, the best hiking spots, the, you know, the best outdoor places to go, then, then by all means, it's, you would probably love it. And I would say it's, you know, you, you just have to kind of test the waters and figure out, is this something that I want to do? I, do I want to have my phone buzzing at me at 11 o'clock at night whenever somebody can't get into the house and I have to figure out how to get a key to them or let them in? Um, those are the kind of the questions you have to ask yourself with an Airbnb. They can be much more lucrative. It, it can actually propel you a lot faster towards additional properties and more financial freedom, but it definitely comes with a, a labor and time commitment. Hmm. Hmm. That's great, man. Thank man. you. Daniel Johnson. Thank you. Thank you for uh, being a guest on, uh, on our podcast, man. We're grateful for you, bro. And Man, the value you added to us, to our listeners today. Yeah. Man, so good. So good. PW, any any last minute? Yeah. So what what is um a real easy way for, for folks to find you? Yeah, so um they can they can visit my website. It's refocusfp.com. That's R-E like real estate focusfp.com. And um you know, that's probably the, that's probably the absolute best place to find me. Um, okay. You can also email me at daniel at refocusfp.com. And, uh, you know, that's, that's where I can be found primarily. Awesome. We, we're going to put all that in the show notes. So if people want to go, um, you know, and uh, be able to click links, this was amazing awesome. today. Thank you for spending some time with us. Mike and I are going to start doing pretty soon here um, a monthly ask the expert and Daniel has agreed to come back and talk, you know, answer your, some of your specific questions. So if you are just getting started or you're somebody who, you know, has properties already and is just trying to, you know, get organized kind of maybe for the next step uh, or stabilize your, um, you know, your portfolio, that's something uh, to join us for. Um, Daniel, you, Honestly, in an in an hour, this is this is amazing. <laughs> so, much, so many great points that you hit. Um, I have yeah. so many more questions. So so you have to come back in a few months if you'd be willing. One hundred percent. I'd I'd love to come back to 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 see you guys again, and and happy to happy to answer any questions that uh, that your 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 listeners may have. So. Friends, thank you for listening in. You have been listening to Blue Collar Money with P.W. Gopal and Mike Hatch. If you would like to reach out to P.W. directly, you can reach him through his website at pwgopal.com. 
or you can reach out to Mike Hatch at empoweredmanhood.com. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming content. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to connecting with you soon.